You're listening to Sciencing the Shit Out of MS, part of the Classroom Psychology Network. And now, here's your host, Dr. Cora Sargent. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sciencing the Shit Out of MS. I'm your host, Cora. Thank you so very much for joining me. It's wonderful to see you, y'all. I really hope you're doing okay. Uh, listen, I feel for you, all you folks with multiple sclerosis in particular. You know, I feel for all of you out there, those with and without any chronic conditions. But, you know, folks with MS, right now, I feel for you. We're in the middle of a heat wave in the UK. And if you're anything like me, no doubt you're finding it hard to stay cool in what is increasingly warm weather. And for those who don't know, multiple sclerosis is not a kind of disease that does well in the heat. Uh, basically, uh, demyelinated nerves literally find it harder to communicate in even just 0.5 degrees centigrade increased body temperature. Uh, our bodies are generally pretty good at keeping themselves cool, but not within a 0.5 degree window. And any kind of increased heat outside, increased heat within yourself uh, makes it harder to manage MS symptoms, which get worse. So I feel you out there. Just know that I'm right behind you and we're all in this together and it's a bloody nightmare. <laughs> I'm in there too, uh, for sure. Um, absolutely. So welcome back. Uh, and we have got, you know, welcome to season two. How fun is this? Like as we get going for the second season, uh, in season one, we did a load of cool stuff. And we have now a list of things that we are doing for sure. I'm doing it too. Making sure that I include these things in my daily routine or in my weekly routine, trying to incorporate the stuff that are essentially seeds, right? We think of MS as essentially like if we think of mental health as a garden, then we plant seeds in that garden. And much like, you know, uh, much like The Martian, which is an amazing book, um, uh, essentially MS is like Mars and you're essentially trying to plant a garden on Mars. And while that sounds difficult, and indeed it is difficult, it is not impossible. And this is what we're here to do is to work out, you know, what seeds do we need to plant and, you know, can we then watch them grow into better and, you know, happier being like better mental health. So the list, the list so far, my goodness, it's getting huge. So we, I, I'm going to talk about, I'm going to talk thematically, right? We started this last time, right at the end of season one. We talked thematically about the kind of the the handful of things that I'm trying to do to better my mental health. And I hope, you know, you might be joining me too. The first is about acceptance. God, dead easy. Acceptance, which is the non-judgmental, complete embracing of the moment-to-moment -moment experience without needless defense. And while we might feel defensive, and for sure, I had a bit of a cry today, um, I had my, I had a I, dragon dictation software training, which is bananas. I just don't, I don't understand it. But um, it's bananas because the government is willing to throw a huge amount of some money in access to work and next to no money to my mind in in actual benefits for people and it's very strange experience to straddle those two places because you're like when i go to access to work they're willing to throw three thousand pounds at a training i don't really need while i mean i kind of do need it like i do need the software and the training is valuable but it's one-to-one -one training for nine straight freaking hours are you kidding me like the things I could do in nine hours with a few thousand pounds, right? Whew, uh, I could do all kinds of stuff. 
I don't really need nine hours of training. Maybe one hour would suffice. But this industry has kind of grown up out of out of the government's willingness to throw money at keeping people in work. So I kind of get it. And in a sense, I kind of appreciate it. But I see, you know, the, the benefit system to which I'm sort of gradually traveling towards, no doubt. Uh, and I can see how god-awful that system is to navigate and how freaking terrible it is for people who who need to navigate it and manage the assessment processes and the... Uh, it just sounds awful to me. Comparatively, extremely different. So, for sure, um, I went for a cry today when I realized that everything is awful. And, uh, and having had this kind of meeting with a wonderful person giving me training in Dragon Dictate, I also realized that the software is just... It's good. Hey, you know, Dragon amazing. Uh, I'm super glad that it exists, but I sort of see the potential of AI to make these systems more like Friday, you know, like Iron Man's AI, where I'm just like, or Jarvis, when I'm talking to this thing uh, and it's talking back and, you know, it's interpreting my intent. Like I, I, I and when I use Dragon, I have to open Outlook by saying open Outlook. That's kind of cool. But then in order to start my email, I have to be like, you know, select compose or click compose. Then I have to go. I said go to two to add people in the two bracket. It didn't understand what I meant. So I had to be like shift tab to push myself up into the two. Uh, and the whole thing is like a series of very specific commands that are you have to learn essentially and it cannot interpret your intent. And if you say a synonym, you know, if you instead of use the word select, if you say instead of saying click, you say select, it has no idea what the hell you're talking about. It does something completely different. So, yeah, I just uh, it's just not what I want it to be. Um, I desperately looking forward to uh, the potential of AI. If I find some cool stuff, I will share it with you. Uh, we are right on the edge. Uh, Honestly, right on the edge of some amazing AI stuff that could really help folks with disabilities uh, in all kinds of ways. So right on the edge, but we're just not there yet. But I have to accept the way things are right now and work the problem, right? So acceptance and then problem solving. We work the problem that's right in front of us. We work the problem. We you know, we solve one problem, we solve the next, we solve the next, and we get to thrive in the context of MS. And so we solve the problem that's right in front of us and we plan for the future. You know, we plan how we're going to tackle each individual problem and we plan what happens when things will go wrong so that we have a plan of action when we run into challenges. Acceptance and then action planning. And that action planning also should include activation toward the things that give us meaning in life and that promote our social relationships. So, for example, kindness interventions are something that I've got right into recently, where I've been trying to think more about my friends, what they might need, and then kind of galvanize the other friends that I have toward helping that friend in some particular way with some kind of act of kindness. And um, we've got a cool one in the bag. But as we've already said, I can't really tell you what those are because we can't use this as an opportunity to feel good about ourselves in a public way, because what makes us feel good about ourselves is not doing that. So I am not going to tell you what it is, but I will say that these have been really fun little interventions. I felt closer to people and I feel like uh, I feel better about myself for doing them. They give me meaning, they give me connection. Uh, what better way to 
activate towards the things that make us happy. And then finally, biasing our cognition. Because we're so like predisposed to see threats in the world, so predisposed to be afraid of the future. By the way, the default network, which is like the brain's default non-active state, the systems that get activated when we're not really doing anything, one of the things that it's there to do, we're going to talk about this in a future episode, is to scan the horizon for threats. Because of course it is, right? We evolved in threatening environments where we needed to scan the environment for potential threats. And so what the default network tends to do is be like, hey, are there any threats around I can focus on? <laughs> so when we're not doing anything and worried about the future or worried about the MS, that's just the default network doing its thing. And of course, if we bias our cognition toward the moment, remain present, then we can interfere with that process. If we stay grateful, if we stay kind, those things will make us feel happier and will bias our cognition away from the negative and toward the positive. Today, we're going to add to that list. We're going to add with something which I think is kind of cool. I hadn't really considered doing before um, and is something I think would be fairly straightforward to add into our roster. And that is positive self-talk. Now, there's a bunch of research around positive self-talk, but it hasn't really been applied to multiple sclerosis or to chronic illness as far as I can tell. But rather, it's put into uh, athletics. This is features pretty heavily in athletics. So we'll start with a handful of studies that I think are really interesting. They get us geared up to understanding what positive self-talk is. And I'll take a look at some of the research that highlights that, you know, if you can believe it, it seems to have quite an impact on athletic performance. Now, you got to bear in mind, right, like having an, an impact on athletic performance is not something that something as simple as positive self-talk should do, right? right? The, given how many things are involved in athletic performance, not to mention physical fitness and strength and flexibility and stamina, you know, with all of those things in mind, positive self-talk still has a positive impact that's significant, measurable. Well, that's kind of interesting. And maybe we can recruit this. Maybe it's more about like positive self-talk when we're attempting a thing that is difficult, because when we, that's a, a not an unreasonable equivalence, right? If these folks with high spec athletics doing difficult things, uh, and actually it does seem to be not even just high high impact, high sort of elite athletics, even sort of just mildly athletic acts might be benefited by um, positive self-talk. So if we use it whenever we are facing something challenging, trying to do something, whether it be exercise in the face of challenge, whether like riding my bike in VR and stumbling my ass around the place, or whether it be like I had today doing the washing up when I was feeling a bit wobbly on my feet, you know, the positive self-talk might help to us to actually do the thing with more like competence might make us better at it. And I wonder if it might also make us feel better too. So let's start with Van Ralt. This is a bit of an older study. Van Ralt and colleagues, cork, they say. <laughs> Listen, I'm not much of a darts player, but apparently cork is something to do with darts. Cork, 1995, the effects of positive and negative self-talk on dart throwing performance uh, in the Journal of Sport Behavior. This is kind of interesting. So the authors basically were looking at preceding findings and trying to replicate and expand upon them by asking like male undergraduate participants, why men? I don't know, because it's the 90s and <laughs> because women don't play darts. I have no idea. Uh, only looking at men, 
they basically, this is a cool study because they randomly assigned participants to control where they didn't give them and didn't ask them to do anything. Positive self-talk where they asked them to say, you can do it to themselves. When I'm talking about positive self-talk, in in a sense, I was kind of thinking, this has got to be like some evolved, like deep narration, positive thinking about myself and what I'm anticipating will happen and what I my hope will happen. Nah, simple as you can do it is all that it needed. You can do it, positive self-talk or negative self-talk. And you guessed it, the negative self-talk was you can't do it. Uh, you cannot do it. And they found that participants in basically, you know, bearing in mind, these were randomly assigned, right? So this isn't about elite sport. This is something as simple as dart throwing. And these guys are not elite athletes. Not, I mean, whether darts is an elite sport or not ever uh, is, yeah, for my darts fans out there, you'll probably argue that it is. But for sure, uh, it's not. It's not high jumping, sprinting, long jumping, elite swimming. You know, it's nothing like that. And yet, you know, average collegiate, you know, college guys just going to university and and throwing darts in a in an experiment uh, for probably college credit or you know, if, like in the UK, you have like uh, research participation credit. Um, you know, for that, uh, they 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 threw some darts and did some positive or negative self talk, completely randomly assigned, and they found that. Between the control and negative self-talk conditions, there weren't any significant differences. So I don't think this is a consistent effect. I found other studies that have found a negative impact of, and I think generally in the consensus of the literature, it seems like negative self-talk can have deleterious effects on performance. But they found that positive self-talk actually had a positive impact on performance. Like, People literally threw darts better because they said to themselves, you can do it just before throwing each dart. They threw 15 and before each dart, they had to say, you can do it. You you can do it. Uh, you can do my, you can do it, my dart throwing hand. Uh, really cool. So they found that that, that was that was enough to actually have a significant impact on dart throwing performance. Are you kidding me? Uh, unbelievable, really. And this has been supported by other research. I mean, bearing in mind a lot of this is from the 90s. Um, it seemed to be like, for whatever reason, there was a big thrust of you can do it, like positive self-talk. Uh, I think probably on the back of the self-esteem movement, which was around the sort of 90s as well. Um, the self-esteem movement sort of found that you know, while self-esteem looked like it was always positive, it isn't always positive because it, it, you, you can have very high explicit self-esteem and quite low implicit self-esteem. So these kind of uh, the old idea of the early 90s where, you know, participation awards for kids and and trying to make kids feel good all the time about their self-esteem, you know, telling them they're special is not necessarily always a good thing, I think. Uh, so maybe we have to take some of this early research around positive self-talk in a similar sort of cautious vibe um but it doesn't seem to have that same effect uh at least as far as i can tell it seems like a fairly robust finding which is bananas at least in sport now weinberg and colleagues 92 strategies for building self-efficacy in tennis players really interesting now they looked at the distinction between australian and american coaches which i thought was quite fun in and of itself uh, and they basically found that australian coaches and american coaches were kind of 
you know, very similar to each other in lots of different ways, with Australian coaches using all 13 strategies that the authors identified to enhance self-efficacy to a moderate degree. Um, and they, while the American coaches mainly used conditioning drills, uh, they also kind of used the modeling of other successful players and had an emphasis on, on trying to overcome anxiety in their coaching. Uh, so they were slightly different to one another, uh, but had some strong similarities. And what the authors found was that while uh, one of these major techniques was positive self-talk, and it helped players develop confident and resilient mindsets in their in their tennis playing. So they were finding that that one of the reasons why positive self-talk might help tennis playing in both Australian coaching, which is a bit more kind of uh, self-efficacy enhancing on the whole and American coaching, which is a bit more kind of modeling and a bit more sort of managing anxiety um, and using anxiety and fear as an opportunity to kind of, you know, as evidence of that you're ready to go, you know, you're ready for success. So slightly different. But for both, they find that positive self-talk might be an important component because it helps people to develop their confidence and their resilience in response to failure, which I think, again, you know, we've got to take all of this with a pinch of salt when applying it to MS because none of this has been applied to MS directly. But I do still think that it's quite relevant to MS in that, you know, yeah, for, for sure, MS is going to do a couple of things, right? Like I have this thing, you you know, I was here last time, we talked about me getting on the exercise bike or going for walks and going for walks has become not something I can very much easily do anymore, uh, at least for the time being. And so I've been doing the exercise bike, but still I go through periods and even when I'm doing the washing up, you know, times where my legs feel like jelly and it feels like they're going to go from under me. And in those moments... There's a voice, and I don't know about you, there's a voice in the back of my head that says, Cora, you're going to fall. Like, you can't do this. It, it doesn't even say it in words necessarily. It's more a sensation that comes across me. This sort of, oh gosh, you're going to fall. Or, oh gosh, you can't do this. Or, oh gosh, you need to stop. Like, you're doing yourself some harm. Or, oh gosh, uh-oh, you know? Just this voice in the back of my head that says, you can't do this. Like, I, when I fell up the stairs outside my flat, you know, I was walking up the stairs, I misjudged a step and I fell. They're concrete steps and I hurt myself just a teeny tiny bit. But in that moment, I sat on the steps and just sort of caught my breath for a second. And But it wasn't even catching my breath. It was, it was managing my feelings, really, as I sat there. But the voice in the back of my head was like, you can't do this. I'm not used to having that voice, right? I've always had voices in my head. I've cultivated voices in my head that support me, that say, you can do this. You got this. I believe in you. I'm careful to cultivate it, but MS has really changed that voice, or at least it threatens to. It's sort of, it because I can't trust the systems that I once relied upon, you know, my ability to walk, such a fundamental thing, my ability to hold in my we. Good Lord, anybody with bladder issues, my bladder is like a small puppy. Uh, it just, you know, if I get too excited or too scared, I'm just going to pee on the floor. And if I, you know, and not only that, but like my ability to stand for more than 30 minutes, you know, to be able to cook or wash up for longer periods, like it, the fundaments of my life have been challenged by this thing. And suddenly it's like, I can't trust. I don't have faith in myself in the way that I did. I don't trust myself in the way that I did. 
And the negative self-talk sneaks into the back of my mind. And I don't think until I looked at this literature, I really appreciated that that was what was happening. But I kind of think it is. Now, Peters in 2006, a little bit more recent, they did a cultural analysis of self-talk in its relationship to performance and the potential moderators. Now, for the, this was a dissertation. For those who don't know, a moderator is the context in which self-talk and performance are more strongly related. So if you have a moderator in uh, I don't even know what the moderator was in this case. Uh, they basically found that I think fear of failure was a moderator here. So if you have a bit of a fear of failure, then negative self-talk will impact more strongly your performance because negative self-talk, you know, when you have a fear of failure, it triggers that fear of failure and you feel like you're going to fail. And so you stop or you your performance uh, isn't as good. Now, they basically, these authors looked at European Americans, East Asian Americans, and Latino Americans, and they took a look at, you know, the cross-cultural experience of self-talk and how different cultural groups perceived the task of, you know, uh, of performance in the context of positive versus negative self-talk. Interesting, the authors found essentially that regardless of cultural background, uh, that positive self-talk was connected to performance, which I think is in and of itself hugely fascinating. So even cross-culturally, this is a fairly robust little finding. Now, we got some fascinating stuff in the world of... Um, there's a couple of other fields I think it'd be useful for us to touch upon. One is in cancer survival. Now, you know, trigger warning, we're going to talk very briefly about cancer survival. Hamilton and colleagues, 2015, strategies African-American cancer survivors use to overcome fears and fatalistic attitudes. Now, this is in the Journal of Cancer Education. Um, it was, it's particularly obviously around uh, the African-American experience of cancer in the US. But they found that quite consistently, people talked about one of the things that prevented like them from feeling negative. One of the things that helped them to feel like more positive to overcome their fears about cancer was positive self-talk. Also, increasing their awareness about cancer and avoiding negative people were also really important there. But positive self-talk featured. And I thought, OK, so this is probably the only study that I could find that linked positive self-talk to some kind of illness, right? Quite a severe illness. Um, really interesting. People were, you know, qualitatively using positive self-talk to feel like they're going to be okay, which I think is huge, actually. Uh, a resilience building factor, perhaps. Now, competitive balance being competitive tennis, uh, high uh, elite athletes. Uh, elite athletics does seem to have a very consistent finding here. Van Dyke and colleagues in 2018 self-talk and competitive balance beam performance. Uh, I just love that we get to do this stuff. They found that the gymnasts in the study, they had like 141 of them, uh, they looked at their competitive balance beam performance in intercollegiate meets in the US, right? This is like intercollegiate sport. Still quite a high level in college in, in the US, so it's still sort of fairly elite, I think. And they basically took a look at the impact of a few different variables, among them being uh, positive and negative self-talk. And they found that positive self-talk improved performance and negative self-talk had a deleterious, like a negative effect on performance. And they found that there, there were things that 
like mediated that relationship. So they found that attention, so you get distracted by negative self-talk messages and positive uh, self-talk messages help you to focus your attention. Cognitive and emotional control, so positive self-talk helps you to manage your cognition, like focus your attention, but also helps you to manage your emotions, like your anxiety, etc., and increases your confidence. So positive self-talk here, and again, like, Positive self-talk doesn't need this huge essay. It's just literally like the little messages that that are supportive of you, that make you feel like you can do this, right? In one study, it was literally, you can do this, was all it took. Now, Thibodeau, uh, Thibodeau and colleagues in 2020, really interesting. Uh, careful what you say to the, yourself, cracking name for a study, exploring self-talk and youth tennis performance. Now, they took a look at youth tennis, only 28 youth uh, tennis players in the study, 12 years of age on the whole, so quite young, but I think at a fairly high level. Um, they basically found that positive and negative self-talk were both strongly related to concurrent point performance. So, how, how many points they had in their current game. Now, here's what's kind of wild. I really enjoy. They also took a look at the effect of positive self-talk on the likelihood that they would win the next point in their game, which is cool as anything. And they did find, while it was fairly marginal, quite small effect, they did find an impact of both positive and negative self-talk on on how on their performance generally, but they found a significant effect of positive self-talk on the likelihood they were going to win their next point. How cool is that? Like, yeah, uh, this is great. Positive self-talk is really important for athletes. Who knew? Um, we've got to we've got to do more of this. I think between us now. Let's take a look now, you know, another sidestep. You know, lots of different fields have looked at this. Of course, we haven't looked at this in chronic illness uh, yet to be done. But Thomas and colleagues, Thomas is actually one of my... Uh, uh, one of my favorite folks, and Constantine Sadikidis. Now, I work with Constantine at the University of Southampton, which is super cool to see his work. We just sort of stumbled across it. Effort self-talk benefits the mathematics performance of children with negative competence beliefs in child development. Big journal. So self-talk that is uh, like engaged in effort, like uh, Self-talk that's focused on effort, not on performance, had an impact on performance. Now, you might be like, wait, what? Uh, what does that mean? The distinction is between, uh, basically, it's about growth mindset. So if you say to children or say to anybody, really, 212 kids in this study, if you say to children, you know, ask children to say to themselves, I am very good at this, like I am good at maths, or if you ask them to say to themselves, I will do my very best, those two things can have differential effects because of growth mindset. Now, the thing is, uh, Carol Dweck came up with this amazing theory, the idea that uh, mindset theory essentially is about how you think about intelligence and how you think about skill. Is it something that you realize you have, like you have a talent for this thing or you don't have a talent for this thing? Or is it something that you develop through effort, right? You get better at things. You start in low skill and you get better and better the more time you work on that skill. 
And they found here that if you use effort self-talk, but still positive self-talk, such as I will do my very best, that has a, a benefit to the performance of children, particularly those who don't feel like they're very competent. So if they think they're very bad at maths, but they think to themselves, I will do my very best, their performance increases. So this kind of, I think, links, right? It's a bit of a sidestep and yeah, not the world's easiest kind of link to multiple sclerosis. But again, like it, I don't know about you, but it does mess with my competence beliefs, MS, right? I, I do the washing up and I feel like I'm exhausted and I don't feel like I'm going to do a very good job necessarily. Or I get on the bike and I feel like my legs are weak and I'm not sure I'm going to do a very good job. And what this research highlights is that the kind of self-talk that might help, I mean, again, no direct evidence here, we are making a bit of an extrapolation, but the kind of self-talk that might help might be, I will do my very best. I'm gonna do this, I'm okay, I will do my very best. Those are the kind of, you know, and this we can incorporate this into our, uh, you know, implementation intention interventions, right? We plan for what we're going to do. I'm going to ride the bike. And before I get on the bike every day, I'm going to say to myself, I will do my very best. I've got this. I believe I can do this. I like that. I think that's a cool idea. Now, really recent stuff. Bassett and colleagues on 2022, type of self-talk matters. Its effects on perceived exertion, cardiorespiratory and cortisol response during an isometabolic endurance exercise. And these guys brought together 29 very well-trained male runners and they put them in randomly into three different groups, either the dissociative group where they just didn't get them to do anything, the positive self-talk group where they got them to you know, big themselves up with positive self-talk and the negative self-talk group where they talked down to themselves. And they got these uh, young people to do 60 minute pretty steady running exercises at about 70% of their max uh, O2 uptake. So it's quite, they were exercising pretty hard, these guys. And they basically found that people in the negative self-talk group had higher cortisol. So they had uh, more stress while they were running. Really interesting. The kind of the first study, I think, to find that there's a maybe a like a connection between negative self-talk and the stress that we experience. So we've got two different effects going on here generally across these studies. The first is that for sure, you know, positive self-talk might itself be quite positive for people and might it, you know, increase resilience and make us feel better about ourselves. But negative self-talk has its own effect. It seems like it might in some circumstances increase stress response and maybe make us a little less resilient. So we've got to not only like talk to ourselves in kinder terms by reducing the amount of negative self-talk, we're going to increase the positive self-talk for completely separate effects. Now, what did they ask these runners to say to themselves? They basically got them to record themselves saying like positive things and they played it to them every like five minutes in their run. It's not very easy to see in the article exactly what they asked them to do, but the example they give is you can do this. So that's what we're going to do. When I next have a swing at doing something on the bike, when I next have a swing at doing something when I'm walking, when I'm doing the washing up, whenever I get that whisper of challenge where I feel like I might not be able to do something, I'm going to speak out loud and maybe you want to do it with me. I can do this because you know what, y'all? 
we can do this. We solve one problem, we solve the next problem, and we solve the next. And if we solve enough problems, we get to thrive in the context of multiple sclerosis. Thanks so much for joining me, and I so look forward to seeing you, as always, in the next one.